From Wondery, Call Me Curious is a podcast hosted by Nikki Boyer that gives you definitive answers to life's burning questions. Every week, Nikki dives into all things you've heard about but don't really know about. So no more nodding along at social gatherings or Googling in secret, what is cryptocurrency? Learn and laugh as she explores life's mysteries and the Internet's hottest topics, like does intermittent fasting work? We've all got questions. Nikki has answers, and it's all on Call Me Curious. Listen to Call Me Curious on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. You can listen early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Quick disclaimer this week, there's a brief mention of suicide. Nothing graphic, but it's there. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Eastern European folklore. On the first you'll see why dangerous water monsters don't run daycares, and on the second, that wizards keep being unlucky with love, mainly because they're being super creepy and weird about it. The creatures this week are the devil's dandy dogs, which I guess show us that even demons like cutesy pet names. This is Myths and Legends, episode 274, Murky. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, we have two stories from Eastern Europe. The first is from the Czech Republic, and it's a tale of why you shouldn't use dangerous water monsters to discipline your children. Hey, shepherdess, Dorothy heard early in the morning. She rubbed her face. Janacek. The person nodded when they heard the name of her son. Yeah, it was Janacek. She had to sit there and listen. There was nothing either of them could do. For this one, Janacek had locked the neighbor in her house by hammering boards over her doors and windows. It took her half a day to get a neighbor's attention get out. The next villager caught him in their pigeon house, stealing dinner. The third person that morning said Janacek, Dorothy's son, had been by that night and played a silly prank on them at one in the morning by setting their house on fire. The shepherdess said she would talk to Janacek when he got home. The visitors shook their heads. That's what she always said. When the third person left, the shepherdess heard a voice calling to her from a tree nearby. Ma! Ma, look! She looked up and saw Janacek balancing on a branch. She screamed for him to get down from there. He would hurt himself. He leaned forward. What? He couldn't hear her. He was going to lean forward precariously, and everything that happened next was her fault. Then he waved his arms and lost balance. He dropped headlong from the tree and hit the ground hard. He looked up at his mom, blood beginning to pool in his mouth. Mother, why? His head kicked up a small amount of dust as it thudded down. Janacek was dead. The shepherdess collapsed in anguish. No. Tears poured down into the dirt, and she doubled over, and then heard laughing? He was alive? Janacek limped over. Yeah, berries. It was, it was joking. He wasn't actually dead. She needed to lighten up. Dorothy, the mom, might have scolded him, but she was just so happy that he was alive she told him that he had frightened her. 
The story says her hands wouldn't bring themselves to whip the boy. Janacek had been having a difficult time, too, since his father left. They, Dorothy and Janacek, were all the other had. and She wouldn't drive him away by disciplining him. Boys would be boys and all that. Janacek knew just how far to push his mother, though. And when he went too far, he would make her favorite dish, mushrooms and strawberries. Probably not mixed together, but who knows. Anyway, one morning, he paid in advance because Dorothy awoke to find the steaming mushrooms sitting next to a bowl of berries. You know, maybe they were turning a corner here. Perhaps her plan of never disciplining him and just waiting for him to be different was working out. Then she heard the screams. Her son. Someone dragged him from the deep pool. Janacek had drowned. Dorothy wailed as the villagers laid the body down before her. The townspeople weren't saying she should have set boundaries and disciplined him at least a little, because with the death of her son, that would be too soon. They would say it later, though. Then they looked to the boy, and the body was gone. The people looked around frantically, but there wasn't any evidence of Janacek in the fields, the swamp, town, or forest. It was like he disappeared. Then they looked inside the house that was like, 10 feet away from where he had been laying and found him finishing off the mushrooms and strawberries. Of course, they freaked out and ran because, sure, he must be a ghost and not the kid who messed with them relentlessly and pranked them like four times a week. This time, Dorothy stood incensed. Sure, he had lied to her and scared her, but he was eating her mushrooms and strawberries. Janacek had finally gone too far. The water demon, the vodnik, take you. The bowl and the wooden spoon slid across the table to Dorothy. As Janacek was about to say that, okay, he could see that she was mad, but his non-apology was interrupted. There was someone else listening. It shall be so. Both mother and son spun to look at the window, and they found a face looking back at them, scaly but glowing in the moonlight wasn't human. It was the Vodnik. Dorothy stood paralyzed, but Janacek shook his head. No one scared his mother but him. He grabbed a walking stick and threw open the door with his shoulder, feet digging into the dirt path as he chased the Vodnik, the creature flippy-flapping his way to the water's edge with a massive head start. Janacek took aim with the stick and threw it like a spear, but he missed. Cackles from the Vodnik echoed through the forest, Janacek heard, it shall be so, again, before the splash took the monster down into the deep. Janacek had been forbidden from going near the water by his mother, who feared the Vodnik's threat. So, naturally, he sat dipping his calves in the cool pond. As he kicked his feet around, he saw some flowers floating closer to him on the shore. Oh, really? You're gonna try to lure me with the classic Vodnik trick where you put nice flowers in the water and wait for people to reach for them and then pull them in? Psh, nice try, Janacek laughed. Then he looked at them a little longer. They were pretty though, and his mom was still angry with him. She would really like those. What if he... He reached his foot out and tried to pinch the flowers between his big toe and the second one, but no dice. He couldn't pull them out. 
All right, all right. Janacek would just have to get a stick. By the time he returned with a long enough stick, the flowers were in the center of the pool. It wasn't even about the flowers anymore. Janacek wanted to win. He extended the stick out to the center of the pool of water, lightly scraping at the flowers. Then, he snagged one. Janacek grinned. Got him. He started pulling the flowers closer, when tiny, net-like vines began to grow from the flower, extending up to pierce his stick. Janacek shrugged. Uh, whatever. It'll just make it easier to get the flowers. He didn't see the vines growing up the stick, piercing it and splitting it, until they found their way to his hand. They cupped his hand like a handshake, tightened and extended up his arm, not stopping until they wrapped around his shoulder. Janacek looked down on the arm that couldn't let the stick go if he wanted to. Oh, that's not good. The unseen force yanked the stick, and Janacek flew bodily into the pool. When he splashed down, the vines let go of his arm, and he flailed, screaming that he was drowning. The Vodnik, the water demon, had him. Similar to the boy who cried wolf, when you cry water demon too many times, people kind of stop believing you. But even if they did believe him, they were kind of cool with him drowning because they yelled back, Then let him drown you, you wicked boy. The green blue of the water choked Janacek's screams, and he was pulled down into the darkness. When he looked up, he saw a lizard monster in green clothes looking down on him, sharp teeth forming into a smile. Dorothy sat at home. He was okay. Janacek was fine. He did these terrible pranks all the time when she thought he'd die, but he didn't. Such a jokester. Now he would be home. But Janacek didn't come home. He didn't come home that evening or the next. Three days later, Dorothy could no longer avoid confronting the idea that her son was either very committed to this particular bit or he was in serious trouble. She had gone to the side of the pool and found his hat, waistcoat, and shirt lying on the ground. After a week, she knew the Vodnik, the water demon, had made good on what she thought was an empty threat. Her son had been taken. Yamchek was all Dorothy had left, and if what she knew about the Vodnik was true, then Yamchek could still be alive down there. But... He was at the bottom of a pond. You couldn't breathe down there unless the water demons chose to let you. Well then, she would just have to make a Vodnik give her that ability. She only spent a few days in what the story calls vain lamentation before finding her determination and courage. Then, Dorothy went to work. It took her nine days, but she collected flax and nettles stripping them down until she had bast. Dorothy wove day and night, turning the bast into cords and weaving nine of the cords together into a rope. Food didn't touch her lips during this time, partially because of her singular determination and partially because she was preparing herself for what lied ahead. She went out to the pool, to the exact place where she had found her son's clothes. She lay down on her belly in the tall grasses. She would remain there, unmoving, for three weeks. Now, me personally, I don't like sitting on regular cut grass. You get ants on you, it's itchy. 
Just last year, Carissa had a giant rat snake slither by her feet. Dorothy's whole point, though, was to become one with the nature. She let the mosquitoes bite her, let the snakes and spiders crawl over her, let the grass grow around her. She sipped at some water she brought, but otherwise remained completely still. When Dorothy started, she had a little over three weeks. Three weeks until the day. Nine times a year, so about every six weeks, the water demon, the Vodnik, leaves its watery palace to walk on the face of the earth. According to this story, it can choose an ungodly person who utters profane curses, and then it knocks them out and drags them underwater. So, I guess lay off the profane curses if you happen to live by a river. The Vodnik needed water, though, and it wore a green coat, and it wore a green waistcoat. Because, sure, you can be a slimy water creature hunting humans, but you don't need to look like a slob. This waistcoat was important to its power because apparently it held all the water the Vodnik needed for its time on the surface and whenever the Vodnik was spotted by a human, a bit of the water dripped out. The Vodnik emerged from the pool and looked down. Huh, water was dripping from its coat. That was weird, that shouldn't happen yet. Wait, that meant... He made the connection the same time Dorothy did when... Shaking off a centipede and a small spider family, she exploded from the grass and reeds and tackled the Vodnik. She had the rope she had woven in her mouth. But first, she knew she had to get that coat off of it. If she didn't, it would be able to snap any binding she tried to use on it. Dorothy had the element of surprise, and she had determination. The same determination that kept her alive for three weeks in the swamp. The same that kept her still when spiders crawled through her hair. She would not lose. And she didn't. She tore the waistcoat from the monster, and while it cried out in agony, wrapped its scaly wrists and ankles with the rope that she had made, and began to drag it home. She was careful to avoid puddles. The skin was already drying out, and if it came into contact with any water, no matter how small, the monster would be completely recharged. Without it, though, it was only as powerful as an average person. If she could find a way to dry it out, it would lose all of its strength and exist in agony. Basically, she would torture the creature, but it did kidnap her son, after she asked it to, but only because Janacek ate her strawberries. And the Vodnik really should have caught on to human subtleties, you know, despite not being human. This was how Dorothy justified torture, as she piled sticks in front of the creature, tied to the back wall of her house. It was on a support beam. She said, last chance. Tell her how to get her son back. The Vodnik said, uh, she never really gave it a first chance? Dorothy ignited the dry wood in front of the Vodnik, who glared at her with a look of cold defiance for about 15 seconds. Then it started shrieking. Even Dorothy was surprised by how quickly that thing dried out. Its plump scales withered and cracked. She had to tighten the ropes that shriveled so quickly. Soon, it was no longer the fierce and strong monster that had climbed from the pool, but a hunched and shrunken form, grinding its teeth. It contorted in agony. Fine, it would tell her how she would get her son back. Dorothy stopped herself from putting another log on. So, so Janacek lives? The Vodnik's lips cracked as it spoke. Uh, kind of? Yes, it was complicated. He could come back but the water demon wanted Dorothy's assurance that she would let him go free. 
without being harmed. Dorothy nodded. Absolutely, all she cared about was Janacek. She would free him and send him back to the water. The, the Vodnik said, for real? This isn't like a monkey's paw thing where you're leaving out some important part where, you know, I'll go back to the water, but in pieces or something. You'll actually do it? Dorothy said, yeah. Once again, she only cared about Janacek. The Vodnik shrugged. All right, well, yeah. I'll tell you how to get down there. We'll see Dorothy's descent into the watery darkness, but that will be right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mother well, mother well, listen to what the master says. Open thy waters to the bottom, Dorothy said, standing before the pond. Immediately, the waters of the pond parted, twisting into a tunnel, revealing a stairway down into the deep. Dorothy peered down and took that first step. All right, for Janacek. She was under the murky green of the pond when she finally made it to the bottom of the stairs. She looked up and, through the tunnel, she could see the sun shining through the gloom of the surface. She made it to the bottom of the stairs, where a wall of frog was blocking her path. Now, we were warned off from getting a bullfrog by a stranger at a pet store. I had no idea that they were actually terrifyingly carnivorous and had teeth. And don't Google bullfrog teeth because you will see them eating mice. And Dorothy was about the size of a mouse when compared to the bullfrog that blocked her way. She swallowed hard, but remembered the Vodnik's words. Oh, frog, frog, hear what the master says. Open a passage for me. The frog's mouth opened, which, once you kind of understand how brutal these things can be, it's not a welcome sight. But this one's mouth kept opening. It opened until it was a gate. Its body turned into an emerald hall, and its eyes two lamps that shined like suns. The hall was impossibly long for how small the pool of water was up above, and its walls, pockmarked with alcoves, contained little silver jars every few feet. Now, in a few of these stories, the jars aren't merely tasteful if overdone decorations. They're souls, souls of those that were claimed by the Vodnik. Dorothy felt the unease of this place, the fear of being discovered, but the hope of finding Janacek. If the Vodnik was to be believed, Janacek was in one of these jars. She breathed deeply. No better place to start than at the beginning. She tapped on the first silver jar. Are you here, my son, Janacek? She asked in a trembling voice. A voice came from the jar. He was Vite, condemned to everlasting torment for having sought relief from a bad wife by death in the water. Another woman won his love. Dorothy moved on to the next jar. 
I am called Voita. I cheated orphan children committed to my care. I could no longer endure my conscience and drowned myself in despair. Dorothy said, okay, there were definitely better solutions there. I mean, there always are. But he was already feeling bad about it. He should have just not done the bad things anymore. Work to help orphans, maybe? She followed the despair and sob stories from the trapped souls. Soon, she no longer worried about being discovered because she had been down there, quote, nine times nine days. Yeah, 81 days. Dorothy knocked on the jars until she came to the last two. The penultimate jar was a hollow one. Dorothy asked who was in it, but she didn't hear a human voice. It was a deep, otherworldly snarl saying it was reserved for a mother who rears a wicked son. Dorothy said, well, that obviously had nothing to do with her son. All right, this last one. This last one had to be it. She knocked on the jar and heard an, Oh, mother, help me. She tore the lid from the jar, and her son sprang bodily, unfolding himself on the dank emerald floor. He was emaciated, just like her. She kissed his sunken eyes and bony hands. He pulled them away. May you stick in the swamp and die, slow mother. She smiled. It was her son. She was so happy to have him back. She took her boy, too weak to walk, into her arms and carried him out of the hall, up the stairs, and to the water's edge. The tunnel opened in front of her and closed behind her. She laid her boy on the grass where she had spent three weeks, almost three months ago, and gave him some food and water so he could regain his strength. She told him about her adventure, of the ambush and the capture, of the jars and the souls, but it had all been worth it. He was back with her. Janacek sat up. She had the water demon, the Vodnik, back at the house. Dorothy nodded, of, of course. He was trapped with a ninefold bast rope. He was in a weakened state if he still lived. Janacek stood. <laughs> He wouldn't live for long. Dorothy grabbed his wrists. She promised the Vodnik its freedom. Janacek sneered. Then she was a fool. She spent 81 days talking to the souls of the drowned. That was from one Vodnik. If he was freed, was Janacek safe? Were any of them? No. Janacek would return to the house, take the axe, and then the Vodnik would be allowed to return. Or rather, his head would be when Janacek threw it down the stairs. Dorothy begged him to stop. She made a promise, but he pushed her away, rushing off. She was too slow. She had given him all of her food so he could recover. She was winded when she came to the house, and she entered and found Janacek, axe raised over the Vodnik, who was now little more than a dried and scaly skeleton, cowering, shaking on the support beam. Janacek, stop, Dorothy demanded, and... Janacek did. He didn't move until he lowered the axe. She told him she should have said this a long time ago, but he wasn't a good son. He tormented her. She knew he had a difficult time when his father left, but he wasn't dealing with it the right way. He could talk to her. She lived with that hurt too. Janacek paused for a moment then lowered his head. The tears began to fall. He was sorry. He was so sorry. The pair freed the Vodnik and led it to the water's edge. Dorothy handed it back its jacket, and the moment the water touched the monster, 
It swelled back into its former form. It looked at the mother and son, nodded, and said it hoped to never see them again. Janacek was different after that day. After his ordeal in the Palace of the Vodnik, yes, but also by knowing how much he had hurt his mother. The Vodnik watched from under the water as Janacek grew into a thoughtful, loving son. And that is the ending I wish I could have told. You see, Janacek pretended he was dead like three times a week, scaring his mother and laughing about it. I'm not a child-rearing expert, but I feel like you really need to establish that baseline of love and respect before zero hour, so you don't need to rely on how loud you can yell at your child to keep them from killing a water demon. Yes. In the story, Janacek didn't care what his mother said or wanted. He only remembered the despair he felt in the dark. When she told him to stop, he looked back at her with disdain and struck down at the Vodnik with the axe. And this was exactly what the Vodnik was hoping for. It dodged the blow aimed at its head and twisted so that the axe hit not him, but the cord. It severed the rope, and the Vodnik was free. But it was still weak. One hit from the axe would kill it. Though that's probably true of most living things. Regardless, Janacek kept after it. It was still trapped in the house. There was no water here. Or so he thought. Over a hundred days ago, Dorothy had left a full pitcher of water on the table and then gone to wait in the swamp. Over that time, the pitcher had evaporated. Almost. It had one drop left. As the axe came down on the Vodnik's head, the creature snatched the pitcher and turned it upside down. And the single drop rolled down its craggy forehead. The Vodnik dropped the pitcher and grabbed the axe handle, while the axe head was mere inches from his own. Stopping Janacek, the drop landed on the floor of the home, but it didn't stay there. It grew. It grew until it filled the house. Grew until Dorothy and Janacek were pinned against the ceiling, fighting for air. The Vodnik, in the center of the home on the floor, touched the ground, and a whirlpool opened up, pulling mother and son down into the darkness, down to a place in which they both had been far too long. The neighbors, who heard the screams and the pounding, found nothing but a dark, deep pool where the shepherdess's hut once stood. They assumed that she had left town after her son died. No one had seen her for months, so it was a good thing she wasn't in it when it went down. They had no way of knowing that underground, not terribly far from where they stood, Dorothy and Janacek were closed into little silver jars at the end of a long emerald hall. Now, they would be together forever. So that's just one of the stories of the Vodnik, the Czech amphibious water monster. I found a few different versions, and it's a fairly common creature throughout Europe. I also found when I was looking into this that PRX has a new audio drama podcast out right now starring the Vodnik. It's like an alternate history inspired by this famous Czech science fiction writer where the Vodnik are three feet tall and newt-like, and then humans discover them, educate them, and arm them because, of course, and then they take over the world. It looks awesome and quirky and weird, but good weird. Anyway, 
I love it when these obscure things from folklore break through to the wider culture and are used super creatively, and I was laughing like 30 seconds into the trailer for the show. Uh, the show's called Newts, and I linked it in the show notes if you're interested. The next story is one from Poland about love and magic, and using magic to be creepy when it comes to love. But that will be right after this. The man heard something at the door, some whispering. He got up from dinner, walked on over, and answered it. Uh, can I help you? He asked the man stooped on his stoop. The man was in robes, and he looked up, gasped, and ran away without saying a word. The man in the house looked down. Hey, weird wizard guy, you forgot your knife? The man held up a knife, but the wizard who was jogging but slowed to a mostly embarrassing speed walk, didn't look back. The man shrugged. Huh, cool. Free knife. He didn't think much of the wizard's visit until the next day when he was in the field, working. A nice breeze kicked up, and the man nodded. This is really pleasant. Then, mere seconds later, when the breeze kept going, he found that it was very strong, like surprisingly strong. In seconds, he was in the sky, completely whipped aloft by the wind. The man was surprised, but not confused. The wizard had obviously done this to him the day before. Currently, the why wasn't the issue. The what he was going to do about it was. He tried clinging to chimneys and climbing down houses to get some food, but the wind was too strong. And no matter how hard he tried, he was aloft in minutes. He wasn't going to die, it seemed, at least after not eating or drinking anything for a week and slamming into all sorts of trees and houses, he was battered but alive. He was just riding the wind. He eventually made it back around to his village, where he tried clinging to his fiancée's house, attempting to get her attention, but when she looked up, he was already gone, back into the sky. He tumbled, dipped, and climbed in the sky until he was above his own house. And then, the wind died. He dropped like a stone onto the dust of the road. He wasn't even hurt. He scrambled over to a tree and wrapped his arms and legs around it. He looked up to his house and saw him, the wizard who had been there a few days before. Hey, so what's going on? Why did you do this to me? I'm sorry if I did something to offend you. Please make it stop. Sandals clomped on the dirt as the wizard walked over. He would be glad to let the man down. But what would the peasant promise to give him? Anything, please, the peasant begged. The wizard's face curled into a grin. Anything. That's just what he wanted to hear. He wanted the peasant's fiancé for his wife. The peasant said, oh, well, uh, hmm. The wizard said, what? The peasant explained that that's really, you know, her choice. Like, I don't have any control over her actions or life. We just, like, love each other and want to be together. The wizard said, oh. Yeah, you could maybe try to trap her dad in the sky. These are the Middle Ages and he might have some pull in this regard. Patriarchy and all. But he's a solid guy too and I don't think he would bend to that kind of pressure. Peasant relaxed his grip on the tree. He really respects his daughter's choices. Oof, well, this is embarrassing. And the wizard snapped his fingers. Oh, what if the peasant just like broke up with her, 
called off the engagement? To not go back in the sky? Yeah, sure. The engagement is off. We're broken up. You're breaking up with me? He heard, 20 minutes later, from his fiance. The peasant nodded. Yeah, sorry, it's, it's not you. It's me, not wanting to be trapped in the sky forever. The fiancé stopped crying briefly and cocked her head. What? The peasant said it was a metaphor for, uh, let's say, commitment. He had to turn away from her, though. He thought it would be kind of easy, at least easier than being trapped in the sky, but seeing her face, having to say goodbye, it almost made him want to go back on his promise to the wizard. And he knew if he turned around, he would. Her father was at the door. What's up with all this? You break my girl's heart? How about I break your heart? With punching, I'm not a metaphor guy like you, but... He stopped to look at the peasant's face. The peasant was in pain. He didn't want to do this. Something else was going on. Also, he was sunburned, and after a week of not eating or drinking, he looked like jerky, so yeah, definitely suspicious. He told the young man to sit down. Tell him everything. Hi, sorry to bug you. My soon-to-be father-in-law made an appointment for me, the peasant said, knocking on the tree. The witch of the woods crouched over the fire at dawn the next morning, put her hands on her knees as she stood. Yes, she heard he had a sleazy wizard problem. Cochet, Merlin, Ice King, it's more common than you think. And you can help me with this? Sorry, this is my first time talking to a witch, so... I'm not sure about this whole process. The witch said that she had already helped. His father-in-law paid her fee, so it was all taken care of. Oh, and your fees, that, like, children? The peasant grimaced. No, it's money. The witch gripped him by the arm and led him out to the clearing in front of her dwelling. Oh, you have a really nice witch's hut, the peasant remarked. It's a house, she said, shaking her head and then pointing to the sky. Look up there. He's basically just a speck at this point. The peasant squinted and, yeah, wow. There was the wizard, screaming into the void of the sky, too far for anyone to hear him, floating in his big nightshirt, whirling around and around in the air. So, uh, just like that? The witch nodded. Just like that. He'll be up there forever? Maybe he'll drift into space. Magic is not an exact science. It's magic. Still, she had something extra for the peasant. She handed him a knife. I'm really glad you wanted to be trapped in the sky forever together, the fiancé said to the peasant at the altar. He said, what? Oh, the metaphor. Yes, he was really glad they could work it out. He looked to his father-in-law. Was his guy at the ready? The father-in-law pointed to the window. Outside, one of the father-in-law's buds was aiming the knife that the witch had given the peasant, and at the exact time of the wedding, the wizard was passing overhead. The friend threw the knife, and it stuck in the wizard's foot, dragging him like an anchor to the ground, where he landed right at the window to the wedding. 
the knife lodged in the dirt, and the wizard, bedraggled in his long nightshirt, was forced to watch the wedding of the peasant couple. He wept. This was the worst torture ever, he thought. Until the father-in-law's guy pulled the knife back up, the wind took him, and he flew off back into the sky. He tumbled in the sky for weeks, but the crow's coin eventually told the witch that the wizard tumbled his way into space. The moral of the story is, of course, don't be gross and weird and controlling when it comes to love. Or at all. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a pouch of man glitter on Amazon, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of this show that aren't just sawdust. Check out the membership at mythpodcast.com membership. The creatures of this week are the Devil's Dandy Dogs from Cornwall in Great Britain. The Devil's Dandy Dogs is not a frightening name, Alternatively, their name is Dando's Dogs, which better, but still no. Despite their contradictory name, the Devil's Dandy Dogs are not good boys. They're a pack of enormous, supernatural black hounds that roam the Cornish countryside with fire eyes and breath. And if they find a human, well, they're fire-breathing monster hounds, so you can probably imagine what the Devil's Dandy Dogs do to them. They weren't always bad, but their master kind of was. Despite their name, their master at first was not the devil. It was Dando. Now, Dando was a priest, but he probably shouldn't have been. It was the Middle Ages, and people probably didn't get to choose their careers, but preaching and tending to the needy and scholarly work was not as fun to Dando as drinking and hunting. He would finish church early to go hunting and dragged his followers along behind him and his hunting hounds. One time on a hunt, his parish decided that enough was enough. He always did this. He finished off his wine and then guilted them into giving up their own. They were cutting him off. Just then, the party heard a horse. The hounds cowered. A mysterious stranger cloaked in shadow rode up. And yeah, it, it was the devil. Dando didn't care, though, because the devil had drinks. And unlike his ungrateful congregation, the devil wasn't stingy. He drained the flask and wow, that was amazing. When talking with the devil, I imagine you really want to choose your words carefully. But when you're drunk in the woods and taking liquor from strangers after embarrassing yourself in front of your work friends, you're already not making great decisions. Doubling down on his terrible choices, Dando said that he would do anything to get more of that. He would even ride to hell itself. I'm sure the devil isn't the respecting personal choice kind of guy, but to him, Dando basically asked to go and the devil was more than happy to oblige. He scooped the priest up on his horse, and, punctuated by Dando's screams when he realized what was happening, the congregation watched as their leader was dragged off to hell on the back of the devil's horse. They weren't going to say he deserved it, but they weren't exactly rushing to his aid. His dogs were, though, and because hell probably isn't in Cornwall, they never caught their master. The devil took ownership of the dogs, renamed them to the disarmingly charming Devil's Dandy Dogs, and set them loose to devour strangers around the British countryside. If you want to avoid the Devil's Dandy Dogs, well, good luck. 
probably want to avoid the wilderness and crossroads at night, because the only thing that can save you is the dawn, them thinking that the dawn is coming when a rooster crows, and prayer, though assuming you're the praying type, if you see a pack of giant, fire-breathing dogs charging at you, you're probably doing a lot of that already. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.